Welcome back, everybody. Today will be the third, and I think the last, of our installment about my relating to you what's in the book Hitler's Cross by Erwin W. Lutzer, L-U-T-Z-E-R. Hitler's Cross, how the cross was used to promote the Nazi agenda. This is so important in our nation and very important today, this week. Now, in this audio track, I'm just going to tell you what the book says. I do recommend that you go buy it and you read it. Also get Eric Metaxas' book on Bonhoeffer. Lutzer has some other books. So I encourage wide reading. This is a very important subject. And knowing history will help avoiding the same mistakes again. All right, so we are starting chapter six. The church is divided. Confess, confess, confess. This is what Bonhoeffer was preaching in Trinity Lutheran in Berlin. His words. He was talking about Christ as the rock. The church will not be taken from us. Come you who have been left alone. You who have lost the church. Let us return to holy writ, meaning scripture. Let us go forth and seek the church together for the times which are the times of collapse to the human understanding may well be for her a great time of building. Church, remain a church. Confess, confess, confess. So this was July the 23rd, 1933. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. So in that same year, Hitler had been installed as Chancellor of Germany. Confess, he's talking about confess, not not so much sin, but confess your faith. Okay. So, Bonhoeffer worried about people idolizing a leader. The image of a leader will gradually become the image of the misleader. And thus the leader makes himself the idol and mocks God. And the faith movement supported Hitler's candidate. And can Hitler wanted what he called positive Christianity and German Christians. And we already talked about in the last episode how this was the original PR. But Hitler wanted to de-Christianize Germany. And he himself was worshipping the occult. Anyway... The slogan for the German Christians was one state, one people, one church, and they endorsed Hitler's positive Christianity. They were committed to the freedom of this nation, meaning Germany. Bonhoeffer was distressed about this. There was the Brown Synod in September 1933, the old Prussian General Synod met in Berlin for two-day session, and the delegations of pastors and church leaders arrived wearing Nazi uniforms, giving the Nazi salute, and 
the Senate quickly took on the nature of a demonstration rather than a discussion. They confirmed Ludwig Mueller as their bishop and dismissed the current general superintendent and they adopted what was known as the Aryan Clause, which barred those of Jewish blood from the pulpits of Germany. All pastors would be required to sign this statement and give, quote, unconditional support to the National Socialist State, close quote. You understand that the Nazis were socialists. They just were for partnering with with business in a way that the Russians were not. And both the Nazis and the Russians, both were socialists and both were, well, I say Russians, you know, I mean the Bolsheviks, both were authoritarian. So the pastors had an emergency league September the 21st, two weeks after the Brown Synod and Niemöller and Bonhoeffer were meeting with the groups called the Young Reformers, and they aimed to renew their allegiance to Scripture and to creed, to resist those who attacked Scripture, to give material and financial aid to those who suffered through repressive laws or violence, and to repudiate the Aryan Clause. By the end of 1933, their members had swelled to 6,000, and of course the pro-Hitler folks were angry and silent. So Martin um, Niemöller and Bonhoeffer were present at the meeting later in September distributing the Wittenberg. They were distributing leaflets to the delegates and nailing them to trees Quote, we will not cease to combat everything that is destructive to the very nature of the church, unquote. So Bonhoeffer had been teaching at University of Berlin, but he was unhappy, disillusioned, Lutzer says, because the university was accepting the Nazi philosophy. And so he uh, went to London to pastor two German-speaking churches there while he was criticized. He felt that it was just a change in methods, and he affirmed strongly pacifism, but he did speak in the German-speaking community against Nazism. And two years later, he would start a seminary for those studying to, to lead in the Confession Church. So the German Christians um, in November have a meeting and uh, they proceed with the, you know, process in with the Nazi flag and they sing, Now thank we all our God and a mighty fortress is our God. <laughs> you know, and then Dr. Krauss gave a sensational, Lutzer says perhaps, blasphemous speech in which he said, the liberation from all that is un-German in liturgy and confession, liberation from the Old Testament with its Jewish recompense ethic, and from all these stories about cattle dealers and pimps, our provincial church will also have to see. It's obviously distorted and superstitious report that should be expunged from the New Testament, especially, of course, Rabbi Paul. Okay, so... Niemöller had enough of that. 
Bonhoeffer was not in Germany at the time. So in 34, January 34, Reich Bishop Müller issued what became known as the Muzzling Order, a decree to restore order to the German Evangelical Church. Ministers were forbidden to include any matters of church controversy in their sermons. He said the church service was for the proclamation of the pure gospel and for this alone. Okay, and I'm going to say Selah. Do we not already have this for decades in our churches? Okay. And of course, Hitler claimed the youth. So at this point, the confessing pastors tried to have a meeting and appealed to Hitler. And when it was over, Hitler shook hands with the clergy and Niemöller realized it was his last opportunity to speak his mind. Carefully choosing his words, he said, you said that I will take care of the German people. So Hitler had said that. But we too, as Christians and churchmen, have a responsibility toward the German people. That responsibility was entrusted to us by God, and neither you nor anyone in this world has the power to take it from us. Hitler turned away without a word, but that night the Gestapo ransacked Niemöller's house, and the police came without being called, and people, the pastors, criticized Niemöller for marring the meeting. So by this time, the clergy was taking the position of safety first. So was Jesus Lord of all or Lord of a shrinking sphere? Who was the Godhead and who should be worshipped? In May 34, the Confessing Church met and adopted the Barman Confession drafted by the Swiss theologian Karl Barth. If you are a Presbyterian, you're probably familiar with the Barman Confession. It's short, and it says, We worship only God and not the government, and the government has no say. Right? The Barman Confession, May 34. I recommend you get that, read that, think about that. Loyalty to Hitler remained strong in the Confessing Church. The Marmon Declaration said simply that the political sphere had no right to intrude in the spiritual fear, sphere and that committed Christians were commanded to live out their faith in the whole of life. Only later did the church realize that blind obedience, even in matters that belonged to the state, might be a violation of the Christian mandate. If we say we must always obey the state, then the state becomes God. Now, we had this we Americans had this clash in 2020, and I was shocked to discover that even in 2023, this continued to be a conversation. Is Romans 13 a blanket dictate of blind obedience to the state in all cases? How can that be if you compare Scripture to Scripture with Acts 4 and 5? And Peter says to the Sanhedrin, you judge, is it right for us to obey God or or man? So the state, as long as it is a 
enforcement of good. Yes, we cooperate and we are model citizens. But just like Peter, and just like Paul, <laughs> and just like Philip, we are all duty-bound to have our obedience prioritized. <laughs> God first. And this is certainly a tradition in the United States. Because we are godly people, we can have a democratic republic. And Thoreau and Martin Luther King, you know, letters from a Birmingham jail. So Bonhoeffer Niemöller sent a letter to all the confessing pastors calling upon them to stand firm. In part it read, It is our failure at this point which hangs like a curse over our confessing church. This is a curse we have brought upon ourselves for we have denied what God has entrusted to us. Let us return and accept once more the binding character of these decisions to the synods at Barman and Dalem that we shall once more be clearly led. Let us not be oppressed by the fact that the church's future appears to rest in what to our eyes seems to be impenetrable darkness. Let it be enough for us to know what we are commanded to do. We are commanded to make a clear, uncompromising answer of no in the face of every temptation to solve the church's problem in a way that contradicts the decisions of Barban and Dalem. May God help us if it come to the point, to be able to speak this, no, gladly and in unity. So, they were concerned that they be in line with Scripture and in line with their Orthodox theology. Years later, Bonhoeffer wrote in his Ethics, If evil appears in the form of light, benefit loyalty and reward. If it conforms with historical necessity and social justice, then this, if it is to be understood straightforwardly, is a clear proof of its abysmal wickedness. So, the confession of faith was being made, but not as widely. Chapter 7, the church is dismembered. In 34, Niemöller preached, We have all of us, the whole church and the whole community, being thrown into the tempter's sieve, and he is shaking, and the wind is blowing, and it must now become manifest whether we are wheat or chaff. So God let the church shake, and most of the Germans proved to be apostate. They were part of the Reich Church final steps of decline. Confessing Church in 36 sent a memo to Hitler asking him to answer directly whether, quote, the attempt to de-Christianize the German people is to become the official policy of the government. It courageously stated, quote, where Aryan man is glorified, God's word witnesses to the fallenness of all men, where anti-Semitism is forced on the Christian in the contest of National Socialist Weltanschauung worldview obligating him to hate the Jews. The Christian command to love one's neighbor points in the opposite direction. Unquote. 
and the memo listed instances how the state had intruded. And it concluded, even an exalted cause must in the end lead the nation to ruin if it sets itself against the revealed will of God. God's church will endure, even if in the attempt to de-Christianize the German people, millions of evangelical Christians must forfeit their salvation. Our people threaten to transgress the limits set it by God. Nazism seeks to make itself the measure of all things. That is human arrogance setting itself up against God. Again, Selah, haven't we been facing this now for decades? Maybe Satan thought if we just do it a little softer and a little slower, we won't have the pushback. So after this, the Gestapo was sent on a rampage to round up the pastors of the Confession Church. Eventually, more than 800 pastors were arrested, and at least a few of them died in concentration camp. They were still singing, A mighty fortress is our God. Niemöller was sent to Dachau and remained there until it was liberated by the Allies. He wrote the famous saying, First they came for the socialists, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak out for me. A Nazified Christ approved German nationalism and the expansion of the German Empire. This Christ was not concerned about eternal life, but about life today, the life of the average German citizen. This Christ had a different cross and a different future. He was Hitler, the one whom Dietrich Eckhart had anointed as Antichrist. A small group of confessing church leaders who foresaw the great danger of war circulated a statement that encouraged the churches to have services of intercession for their country and plead for the forgiveness of God. Himmler said this was a stab in the back to Hitler. The confessing church refused to comply because they did not want to violate their conscience violate their conscience. This should resonate with all of us who are in the Protestant world because Martin Luther said, here I stand, I can do no other. It's the right of conscience that on which every sense of Western civilization that's good is rooted. Certainly the Protestant Reformation, certainly the American system of government. But we seldom say this, violate our conscience. In fact, I think today we are tricked into violating our conscience, tricked by words that don't mean what we think they mean. The Synod was demoralized by fear, refused to fight against the political firestorm that now engulfed them, and the majority overruled minority. And that, of course, gladdened Hitler's heart. Many could not make up their mind about the oath of loyalty.
So because of internal theological differences, you could look, uh, my look, actually it's the pressure, uh, external pressure that confessing church lost its collective influence. It was harder to stand up if you weren't a group. Not many Germans cared that a few thousand pastors were upset, but willing to substitute Mein Kampf for the Bible. Yet those who saved their lives lost them, and those who lost their lives saved them. The war, World War II, began in 39, and persecutions of the church abated, and he knew did. Hitler knew that he needed the sons of the church to, for the military. In 45, amidst the ruins, Helmut Thielicke, the German theologian and pastor, spoke movingly about uh, the meaning of all that had happened. He said, the nation got what it deserved because it had repudiated forgiveness and kicked down the cross of Christ. And he has several bullet points that I'm not going to go all in. But he said they, the people thought they were making history when they were only blind horses led of God. The people should consider itself a chosen people, whereas the fist of God had already raised to dash it to the ground that in its temporal task the church should disregard the eternal and in its faith in itself failed to see the guilt and need for forgiveness and that they violated God's commandments and tangled, got tangled up in our unpre unpredictable and brutal instinct. If you understand Lutheran theology, you understand that everything he said was very much in Lutheran theology. Worship of success is considered, well, Tillich was saying, was substituted for the true gospel that requires death to self, pick up the cross, come and die. Chapter 8, Heroism in the Third Reich. So, even though we might criticize the German church, at least some of them did stand up. Einstein said how impressed he was with this confessing church that the professors failed to stand up, the editors had failed to stand up, and it was only in the church where people stood in Hitler's way. Similarly, in China in 84, Bishop Ding of the Three Self Movement told uh, Lutzer and some others candidly, persecution wiped out theological liberalism in China. So, Lutzer is suggesting that we need to pick up our cross, not think what's the best for me. So he talks a little bit, let's then talks a little bit about the, the history of um, what Bonhoeffer did in the last days and some other people started uh, 
trying an assassination plot and Bonhoeffer Lutzer doesn't say that Bonhoeffer was doing that but he was trying to contact the allies in case it worked but it didn't and um, and he also talks about other people who were tortured who hadn't been Christians but learned how to pray while they're being tortured that they discovered their prayer could comfort them and that the prayers of their friends and relatives could transmit currents of strength to us. They learned to obey God rather than man. And so there was a lot of heroism that, gosh, remains inspiring to us. There are some things more important than living comfortably when surrounded by injustice. And boy, hasn't that been applied in an opposite fashion. So here we're talking about the Christians who helped the Jews. Helped them rescue, be rescued and... and So Christ, of course, said some things to the persecuted and also some things to the people who have the wherewithal to help others, to the persecuted. Do not fear what you are about to suffer, Revelation 2, 8 and 10. We think of the Christians who, because of Christ's claims and guidance, wouldn't sprinkle incense and declare that Caesar is Lord. John Stott wrote, Jails in every country have been the home to God's people. I know your tribulation, he said. The years 33 to 45 in Germany were thoroughly known by Christ. We need to hear this word from our Savior afresh in each generation. He knows us personally and nationally, politically and ecclesiastically. He knows how we are at a loss for words at school board meetings when the curriculum is discussed. He knows how hesitant we are to witness to our colleague at work. He knows we are intimidated by the media. He knows that we would rather remain silent so we can pass a course at the university than share what we believe he knows. This was written in 95 and re, uh, republished again in 2016. Stephen, I was thinking, I said Philip, I was thinking of Stephen, who was the first martyr. But because we are precious to Christ, no suffering is ever meaningless. Lutzer writes, the subheading is Christ will punish the wicked. Well, first he said, Christ promises eternal rewards. And quoting Revelation 2 and 10, be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. And then under 
Christ will punish the wicked. In the midst of injustice, the human heart cries out for a judge who will set the record straight. As you enter Buchenwald, the concentration camp just outside of Weimar, the sign on the gate reads, Jedem des Seine, to each his own. This is a parody of justice, as if those who entered were really getting what they deserved. As we know, those who entered got anything but justice, at least there. But Jesus is always the King of Nations, Revelation 15 and 3. We don't need to live through a holocaust to be heroic, Letzer says. We need to be all that God wants us to be every single day. Chapter 9, The Cost of Discipleship in the Third Reich. When God calls a man, he bids him come and die, wrote Dietrich Bonhoeffer during the dark days when the German church was being Nazified. He knew whereof he spoke. He followed Christ, and at the age of 39, he died. Here's one of the most famous passages from Bonhoeffer. Cheap grace is the deadly enemy of our church. We are fighting today for costly grace. Cheap grace means grace sold on the market like cheap jack wares. The sacraments, the forgiveness of sin, and the consolation of religion are thrown away at cut prices. In such a church, the world finds a cheap covering for its sin. No contrition is required, still less any real desire to be delivered from sin. Cheap grace means the justification of sin without the justification of the sinner. It is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ, living and incarnate. Again, I can only say Selah. I know of big churches that have people raising their hands every Sunday. But you're going to look very hard to find anything that looks like discipleship in that church. And I know many long-term churches where, again, there's great program of social club and maybe even learning. But discipleship? Are people really trying to apply the dictates of the Bible to their lives? And even in the groups that think they are trying to pick up the law to their lives? How about even the Hostafel, the, the little list of what we should do that Paul will put in his short letters? Lord help us. All right, so then Lutzer goes into the life of Bonhoeffer, his family. How disappointed they were at the Weimar Republic. Um, what Karl Barth had to say. Barth preached that Christ, that in Christ God was revealed as in no other. And unless Christ returned to its task of preaching the gospel, it would have failed in its mission. So Bonhoeffer was impressed with Barth. And he talked about Bart in his dissertation. 
Bonhoeffer said that Christ is existing as community in the church. Although he didn't think that the church was necessarily ideal. Anyway, he had traveled around and he talks about his various ministry. And he said of the Bible, only if we expect from it the Bible, the ultimate answer shall we receive it. That is because the Bible speaks to us. He was deeply in love with Christ and willing to die that others might be ignited by the same flame. He warned his students about German nationalism. And I would not use nationalism in that way. German racism, German imperialism is what I would say. Anyway, on April 1st, 1933, a command was issued to, to boycott Jewish shops. All right, so what happened is the SA men were picketing and asking Germans not to go into the Jewish shops. So this is not the kind of boycotting that we do, where we just choose to, to um, patronize companies that we are thinking are not unethical. We choose not to patronize those that we think are unethical. But here, the government was having a hard time, was giving a hard time to people who wanted to shop at Jewish shops. And Dietrich's, uh, Bonhoeffer's 90-year-old grandmother walked quietly through a cordon of SA men who were picketing and made her purchases. Good for her. So, so he wrote The Cost of Discipleship while he was uh, in prison, and he uh, had his girlfriend, uh, he, he was threatened. that The Nazis like to threaten your family to encourage your obedience. And um, anyway, he, yeah, he had a girlfriend named Maria, and after a while, he was moved to a different prison, so he couldn't see her. And uh, he said, self-will must be broken. We must become weak that we might become strong. Christ must come into every part of our lives. Bonhoeffer would agree with Tozer, quote, that part of us that we rescue from the cross becomes the seat of our struggles. wrote the book Ethics while I was in prison. He wrote letters and papers from prison which were smuggled out by sympathetic guards. And so he and a bunch of others were taken on, on the way, locked up in a schoolhouse and Bonhoeffer was leading the other men in prayer. About, then he was taken off to a mock trial all night and then he and a couple of others were taken off uh, ordered to strip down a flight of trees under yeah down a flight of stairs under some trees and uh, he knelt committed his life to God um, climbed the steps to the gallows and of course was executed the doctor who certified the death said I hardly have ever seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God. Three weeks later, Hitler was declared dead, and the church was left to ponder 
its failure. Chapter 10, America's Own Hidden Cross. Lutzer talks about the commonalities. Lutzer, what if it is true to say about America, as Heinrich Heine said about Germany, that only the cross of Christ was keeping us from powerful forces of brutality that, if unleashed, would cause the whole world to be astonished? Again, Selah. We certainly have seen this in, in this past week. So we tend to think as Westerners, and we forget that the way we think is founded in Christianity, where our God was one who died for us, and we are encouraged to follow him in this kind of self-denial and goodness. And even that understanding of God was rooted in an ethical law that restrained vengeance and believed in grace, an eye for an eye, and a lamb to cover our sins, and a people group that was committed to an ethical law. We are formed as a culture and as, as souls by this heritage, and others are not. Others have very different value sets. We have seen astonishing brutality. And even then, it has been restrained by the power, the prosperity and military might and philosophical power of the West. What would it have what would it be? What would it have been had that not been here? The cross is nothing less than the self-substitution of God for us. The cross was the center of Luther's teaching and of, of Christian teaching. At the cross, all narcissism ends, all attempts to impress God cease, and optimism about mankind's ability to build a better world on its own vanishes. So Lutzer writes about two dangers. After the Scopes trial in America, fundamentalists for the most part retreated from art, public education, and politics. So they didn't become involved in worldly pursuits, but they put themselves in a shuttle and did not continue to inform public policy in the way that that the Bible had up until then. And then, of course, the other side, the more liberal side, would uh, have filled the Christian church with a strategy for political reform. Salvation, it appears, is electing people to local office. And, and that's true whether it's conservatives or liberals. And of course, then there's the New Age movement that substitutes whatever. Okay. Um, although they sometimes, you know, have churches, they call them churches and have similar forms. They substitute uh, things from Eastern or Earth religions or whatever. 
the cross against the world. So just like Hitler tried to push true Christianity out of the sphere and have positive Christianity, so we have pushed Silent Night out and replaced it with Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. We have a group who, in the guise of freedom of speech, <laughs> uh, threatens uh, uh, any public place where there is a nativity scene. And we can't put the Ten Commandments on a school wall. So, again, lots of parallels between Nazi Germany and America can be overdrawn, but only those who are blind to the realities around us can deny that that report from Hitler's Germany has ominous warnings for the United States today. The enemies of religion are not even content with banishing religion from the state while allowing freedom of religion in churches and synagogues. The goal is total control, the complete submission of the church to the arbitrary moral whims of the political establishment. Elsewhere, incredibly, those who want to uphold freedom are targeted as the ones who want to destroy it. In an article titled, New Right Wrongs, the Reverend Robert Minnelli mounts an attack on extremists and religious and zealous religionists who have propagated, quote, devilish acts and dot, 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 awful persecutions, dot, 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 hate crimes and political chaos, unquote. James Dobson, who was the special target of that very attack, points out that Manili was not referring to the militant Islamic Jihad, nor, I might add, even to Adolf Hitler, but to the Christians who have the audacity to speak out about the great issues of our time. And I will add, for the traditional way we've always seen it. <laughs> so I don't know how that's chaos. Seems to me that there is an overblownness about this rhetoric. So if you be the most atrocious, say the most outlandish things, then things get halved. And so they still don't go to that's what's true. But, you know, 100% false, you move to 50% false, is still false. Okay. The cross exalted and applied. There's both blessings and danger in unity. We have to be unified together, but only on the basis of the Bible. If unity is the call, and that requires people to violate their conscience, that that's not the kind of Christian unity that we want. Lutzer, individuals standing alone, no matter how courageously, cannot have the same impact as thousands, if not millions, of people standing together. And later, let us never forget that the world's greatest need is always to see Jesus, to understand why he alone can reconcile to God.
and a little bit lower. When 18th century England was decadent with alcoholism, the exploitation of children and rampant immorality raging, God graciously sent a spiritual awakening through the preaching of George Whitfield and John Wesley. Some historians believe this revival spared the nation from a fate similar to the French Revolution. And we, of course, we in the United States had the most freedom. This is me, not Lutzer. Precisely because we were founded on the Puritan and even more the pilgrim true application of the Bible and therefore self-restraint. And, you know, John Adams was a direct descendant from that, that kind of thinking. And Samuel Adams and so many other of the founders. While we pray and wait for revival, we can do nothing better than to revive our confidence in the power of the cross to do what moral reform cannot. Let us remember that the re-entry of evangelicals into politics is commendable, but it is not the answer. It is only a means to the answer. Whether evangelicals act as lawyers in courts of law, protesters in pro-life demonstrations, or politicians, every vocation is a bridge to witness to the saving grace of God in Christ. John Q. Citizen will never be convinced of the credibility of the Christian faith until he becomes personally acquainted with someone who lives out the Christian life, applying its values in every situation. And then the final two paragraphs. And in the final conflict, when the curtain falls on earth's decisive Gotterdammerung. Okay, so that's the passion play that's put on in Germany every year. The Gotterdammerung. Twilight of the gods. Christ will set the record straight. Those who were faithful to him and his cross will be rewarded with joy unspeakable and full of glory. All rival crosses will be exposed and judged and every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Until then, God is glorified by our steadfastness. If we suffer faithfully, the cross will be exalted in the world. Bonhoeffer was right when he said that it is before that cross and not before us that the world trembles. Sola Gloria. Please be invited to write us at Sharon at JesusNameAustin.org. That's Sharon at JesusNameAustin.org. Or you may write us by land mail at P.O. Box 971, Cedar Park, Texas 78630. That's P.O. Box 971, Cedar Park, Texas 78630. And may the Lord bless you. So I really hope that this fairly thorough review of Lutzer will be helpful to you. We need to know history. We need to know history to understand what's going on. And we need to know history so we do not make the same mistakes. And we can be friends with these saints of old so that they can inform and encourage us to do the right thing. So 
I encourage you to get and read and buy and pass out Erwin Lutzer's Hitler's Cross. He has another book. Eric Metaxas' book on Bonhoeffer is wonderful. Um, worth, worth a Study Group is The American Covenant by Marshall Foster. You can get an older copy very inexpensively. There's a new um, updated version that's available quite widely. And also The Story of Liberty. So The American Covenant is short. It's a short read. And The Story of Liberty by Charles Carlton Coffin. Also, lots of short stories about the whole history of the Protestant Reformation and how it informed our understanding of liberty and our way of life um, in the United States in terms of our founding, which is what the American Covenant's about. Okay? So, go forth in Christ, submitted to Christ, because Christ is the ruler that gives you freedom in your obedience to him. Christ is the, the love that is healthful, <laughs> and the church that is the family around the cross is the one that you want to be a part of because everybody's considering everybody else. And you want to be in a nation state where everybody is self-restrained and working for the good so that you have little government. You do not want a government like the Nazis. I think we are agreed on that because everyone calls everybody else a Nazi when they intend to hurl an insult at them. But now you know a little bit more about the Nazis and a little bit more about the Christian church's experience under it. So think about this, pray about this, and may you be blessed in your service to the Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen.